Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Lord in heaven, hi y'all. Good morning, Antioch. Okay, let's try this again. Uh, hi, I I am. I wish I could be there with you. Uh, being with one another, being embodied, is such an important part of my theology. I love that at Christmas time we celebrate and we acknowledge that Jesus came to be among with us, Emmanuel. And so, being with each other is so important to me. Um, but. Our family is sick. <laughs> My daughter uh, tested positive for COVID on Friday. And then like a couple hours later, my oldest son had 103 fever. And then that evening I started to have a sore throat and a cough. And so it's not wise for me to travel on Saturday to be with you all today. Um, so I'm grateful for Pastor Kip and um, and Pastor Amy for, for working hard to make this virtual connection possible. But I so wish that in the spirit of, of Christmas tide and epiphany, that we could be with one another. But I hope that this morning, as I dive a little bit deeper into our passage from this morning, as we explore the visit of the Magi, and as we begin our epiphany observation together, that um, my words bring you a little bit of joy and hope um, in this really wackadoo dumpster fire of a time. Amen. Well, I also am so honored to be with you to, to be talking about Epiphany because Epiphany is really special to me. Um, about four years ago, my mom passed away unexpectedly. And the last significant phone call that we had where we spent time together checking in was me telling her about how I had begun really thinking about Epiphany, doing Epiphany studying and, and devotions around the season of Epiphany. And she was really curious. And so I got to, to jump into this passage with my mom over the phone. She was in Texas and I was here in St. Paul. And I got to share with her some of the insights that I'm gonna be bringing to you this morning. Um, and then a few a few weeks later, I got a phone call that she passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack. And so whenever I enter into the season of Epiphany, it is the textbook definition of bitter and sweet. Um, it is a time for me to really lean into the big message of Epiphany, that God is with us, that God is among us. For those of you who are not familiar with the idea of Epiphany, like I said, it's my favorite season. And I know that you you have some, some some background, some knowledge of Epiphany. I know that there's this beautiful prayer on your Instagram where you have been praying against the violence in our country and in our culture um, as ambassadors of peace, as our Prince of Peace. And I heard that you were entering into Epiphany as well alongside me. I know for some Christians, they don't really pay attention to this season and, and that's fine. But for me, it has been um, an important part of me really touching um paying attention and connecting to the heart of Jesus. So epiphany means to make manifest. And oftentimes we only think of the Magi visit as the sort of the extent of the epiphany story or the or, or epiphany observation. But that's just part of epiphany. What I love so much about observing epiphany and what I shared with my mom is that this is a time where we get to look at the life and ministry of Jesus 
And we get to, we get to realize, we get to study that Jesus actually meant it. But he actually wanted to live among us and experience life with us. He wanted to engage with us and, and watch his love transform us. That the kingdom of God has come near is not some pithy, fun phrase we say. The king, our king, has, has come close, has become Emmanuel, has been embodied. And we see these in some different stories and different moments in the life of Jesus that we study during Epiphany. Oftentimes we look at the Magi when they, when, when they visit Jesus and we look at that story, which we're going to do today. Sometimes we uh, look at the story of Jesus turning water into wine at Cana. Um, and then we look at Jesus as manifestation as son, of, as son of God at his baptism. And I like to look at my epiphany study following these three sort of hallmark moments in the life of Jesus because it's, it symbolizes the revel, revelation of God and Jesus Christ. And this revelation is cause for great celebration. Like I said, it is us looking at Jesus and saying he actually meant it. He actually did it. He actually moved amongst us. That vulnerability that we celebrate when Jesus comes as a little baby. We get to look at through the life of Jesus as he has to engage with his mom at the wedding and where he has to engage with his cousin and where he has spoken belovedness and blessing. Where he, one of my favorite ways of thinking about that baptism moment is Jesus got in line with those who, who identified as sinners, those who were poor and poor in spirit, he got in line. Jesus came to be amongst us. So that is the celebration, the blessing, the invitation of Epiphany. When I look at Epiphany and I look at this specific story, the Magi story, I see an, another invitation. I see an invitation to look for an aha moment of Christ's love for us. In liter the literary term, an epiphany is a moment in the story when a character achieves a realization or an awareness or a knowledge of something. And then after that, everything that they look at is, is funneled through that prism. For us, the prism of Jesus's love is what we funnel everything through. And so we're going to look at um, Jesus the love of Jesus, the way that Jesus showed up um, for the Magi, the way they responded to the light and love of Jesus. We're going to look at that. And I call these everyday epiphanies. See, there are things in this story of these remarkable men who had this remarkable journey and this amazing story. There are everyday occurrences, opportunities that we can pull out from this passage. So we're going to look at three, uh, what I call everyday epiphanies, three invitations to come, let us adore him. Come to this place where the Christ child is. So like the Magi, we are invited to come just as we are. One of the things that I find so interesting about the Magi is that their story involves them leaving their place, their home, taking a long journey to visit the home of somebody else in a, in a different culture, in a different place. So the Magi were three scientists or scholars. They were intellects who were, who were Persian, which is like modern day Iran. 
These were three men who had a very specific cultural experience. And they traveled to visit Jesus in his very specific cultural experience. So, so the Magi came just as they are. They brought their whole full selves to visit Jesus. When I look at this invitation, this everyday epiphany of come just as we are, I, I see sort of two ways that this can be flushed out in the life of the church, in our spiritual formation. So the first is oftentimes we discredit ourselves. We listen to lies about ourselves. We say, I'm not smart enough, or I haven't, I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough experience. We say, I made this mistake, or we discredit ourselves for a whole host of things. Maybe I'm too big or too small, not enough. And so we say, we cannot bring our full selves to God, we've got to fix ourselves back over here and then we can come. But we see in the story of the Magi, they saw the star, they were overjoyed and they followed, they brought themselves just as they are. There is something about, about that journey, about making their way to Jesus that they didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't tarry, they didn't try to fix themselves up. They traveled and went, they stepped out in courage. So one invitation for those of us who, who have certain lies or things that we believe about ourselves that are not true, that are not rooted in truth, an invitation is to just come to Jesus. Come just as you are. There is space for you. But then there's another aspect of this Magi story that we don't talk about enough and we don't talk about often, and that's that the Magi had a specific social location. They were Persian. They came from their cultural context and visited a, 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 the Savior, Jesus, in his own cultural context. They visited a Jewish family. This is so important for us because the, the Magi's visit is the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles that they and their full whole selves brought their, their they did not leave their Persianness at home. They brought themselves to Jesus. This is an invitation to us. Because the Magi were a people of a certain culture, traveling to another place to worship a Jewish child, Epiphany is a time where we acknowledge that the kingdom of God is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, racially reconciled reality. I know that back in October, you had Dr. Richard Twist come and visit you, and he's one of my favorite indigenous theologians. And I love what he says about multiculturalism and our distinct calling as kingdom people. He says, it is clear from scripture that God is the creator of nation and the, and the author of the flow of history, the first multiculturalist, so to speak. The very idea of culture began with God. So when we look at this story of the Magi, we look at it, yes, come as you are, bring your whole self, but also as people who want to be reconcilers, which I love that value that you hold, Antioch, that you are ones who are open to these conversations about race, multiculturalism, and binding up the brokenness that has been caused by white supremacy and racism. Now I have been teaching um, in various spaces with my, with my brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters whom I call white peacemakers 
And when I am in these spaces talking about something like this, about bringing your full multicultural self to your discipleship, to your spiritual formation, I get a very valid question. Why does everything have to be about race? I get it. I understand that that can be an incredibly hard conversation to have. I want to tell you that I started thinking about Jesus as my Prince of Peace, studying the Hebraic concept of Shalom. And if there was one area that I did not want to talk, talk about or think about, it was the area of race and justice. Lord, let me seek Shalom and peace in all these other ways, but don't expect me to talk about race. But see, one of the things that I learned is I studied Shalom. That concept of the world as it should be, the it is goodness of the garden flourishing right around us, us participating with Jesus and binding up the brokenness of this world. That I cannot, as a Black woman, move through the world and not have honest conversations about race. I had to acknowledge this as a teenager. So I became a Christian at a very young age. I was five when I became a Christian. And I was discipled by, in, a, in an Assembly of God church, by a group of, of white pastors and leaders who loved me really, really well. They loved me in tangible ways, like picking me up on Sunday morning and taking me to church or bringing me donuts or uh, allowing me to sleep in the, sleep over in their home Saturday night so I can easily get to church Sunday morning, inviting me over for meals, discipling me, reading the Bible with me. These people loved me well. In fact, when my own father refused to give me away to my husband because he was this white urban minister, my spiritual father, a white man named Mickey, gave me away. I know what it's like to love my white brothers and sisters, but, but feel like I'm holding a part of myself back. You see, when I was a teenager, there was a horrible hate crime in a town that was a few hours away from me in Texas. And this man trusted his friend, an acquaintance, got to pick, accepted a ride from him and ended up being brutally beaten, dragged behind a, a pickup truck, and his body was carelessly thrown into a cemetery earmarked for the Black residents of that county. And when I heard this news story, I heard it early in the week, and the whole week I dreaded going to church because I knew I couldn't talk about how unsafe I felt. I couldn't talk about the questions of, how is God good when this horrible thing happened to somebody who looks like my uncle? I know that this idea of talking about race can be really, really hard for us. But we have to be brave enough to have these conversations because like the Holy Family, Welcoming in the Magi, these conversations are an invitation to radical hospitality and radical acceptance. When a person of culture brings these issues up to you, when your friends say something happened in the news and they need to process it, or when a friend says, hey, you said something or did something that felt racially insensitive, can I tell you a little bit more about that? I want to encourage you, my friends, as uncomfortable as it may seem, it's not, um, they're not trying to cause division. It's actually an authentic bid for connection. And so part of us looking at this Magi story as reconcilers is to say, we want to be the kind of community, the kind of people that says to those who are suffering because of the lie of white supremacy, come just as you are. 
and your full cultural selves. So where are you? Are you maybe discrediting something in you and saying, I can't come just as I am? Or maybe you're struggling with conversations of race. I totally get it. And one of the things that I do in my teaching of anti-racism is I like to incorporate spiritual practices. I'm in the middle of my um, pro, uh, spiritual direction program to become a director because I specifically want to sit with white peacemakers on their anti-racism journeys. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next five minutes and we're going to participate in a spiritual practice called Visio Divina. It's translated as divine seeing. And it's just a way for us to look at different images and ask God, what do you, are you saying to me in this picture? What, what, uh, what, what do you want for me um, to take away? What truths, what hope, what joy is in this image? And so I have several images of multicultural magi for you to look upon. And I'm just gonna open the next five minutes up for you to contemplate. What does it look like to be, to come just as you are, or what does it look like to be the kind of person that others can come just as they are to you? So let's take some time to contemplate together. Amen. So hopefully um, that was a, a good sort of uh, appetizer of connecting with Jesus um, through Visio Divina. Um, but really, my prayer is that you know that you can come just as you are and that you continue to be the kind of person that receives others just as they are. The next everyday epiphany that we can pull from this encounter with the Magi is that we get to come and know our worth. Come and know your worth. When I first introduced the idea of Epiphany to my mom and I told her that uh, I consider the story of the Magi, the very first thing she brought back to me was, oh, you mean like the gold, frankincense and myrrh? And I was like, yes, mama, yes. And we had a great conversation about that. And you know, one of the things that I have loved is learning how different theologians have studied, you know, maybe the meaning behind each gift, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. There's some scholarship out there that says each gift sort of relates to different aspects of who Jesus is, uh, a savior, Lord, and king. Um, and that's a really fun thought experiment that I would love to have with you. That could be its own sermon in itself. But what I want us to look at 
is the generosity of the Magi of coming and bringing something from their cultural experience, from their place, bringing it and offering it to the Holy Family. One interesting sort of uh, thing that I learned was that potentially the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh were used by the Holy Family to fund their exodus, to get to begin their life in Egypt. And I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure that the Magi, when they were packing up these gifts, were not thinking, oh, this is what's going to be used. They were probably thinking, we're coming to visit a king, and these are the kinds of things you bring to a king. Now, listen to me. I have raised three children as babies. And I'm going to tell you, the most impractical, the most unwanted thing is anything that's super smelly, super messy, or that can be broken really easily. One of my favorite memes that I see around the Magi is one of three women who bring casseroles to the Holy Family because that's what I would get down with, not this gold, frankincense, and myrrh business. But in this story and in this, in their life, the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh was so important for the Holy Family in beginning to build their life and protect baby Jesus. And the Magi had no idea. They just brought what they had. And oftentimes we don't bring what we have because we discredit it. We can't imagine it being used. And so we say, oh, maybe I don't bring that. Or maybe we're really, really good at something and we can't figure out how that can fit into the life of the church. So we never really tell anybody that we have something to offer. Or maybe we feel like we're in a social, we're in a socioeconomic status right now. Things are hard and we can't afford to do anything. So we discredit our capacity for participating, for practicing generosity. But this everyday epiphany, this invitation says that you matter and what you bring matters in the economy of God. When I think of this story, I think about something that happened in Boston for my family. So my husband um, went to seminary in Boston. We met in New Orleans during urban core development work. Um, but because of Hurricane Katrina, we evacuated quickly. I was eight months pregnant with our second. And we settled in Boston because my husband said to me, babe, I feel called to seminary. But there are only two seminaries in this country where I wouldn't be considered a heretic. Fuller in California or Gordon-Conwell in Boston. And I said, let's go to Boston because I can't deal with another natural disaster. A massive hurricane is enough for me. So we got to Boston, we were living in public housing. Um, right after we found out, we right after we had our second, um, a few weeks later, about six weeks later, we found out we were pregnant with our third. So I stayed home with our children. My husband worked two jobs and he was in seminary. I was experiencing postpartum depression and trying to adjust to a new place. Our life was crazy. Our life was hard. And one er one thing that I really wanted was just to make sure that my kids had, you know, a fun childhood. There was experiences for them. And one, one time of the year I always stressed out about was Christmas time. And so I, you know, being the resourceful mom, I didn't have a whole lot of money, but I had a whole lot of time. I did all this research and found these different places that we could sign up for and potentially receive gifts. And, and one organization had this beautiful model that they partnered with a church where they turned their whole sanctuary into a store and all the toys are put out and you received an appointment time and you could walk in and pick out whatever toys you needed for your children based on their age. And I was invited to come and do that. And I was so excited. We were so poor, we were so struggling. Um, and I was so excited to be able to pick out the toys for my kids. Shortly after I got that invitation, I put that on my calendar. I got an invitation from a good friend of mine who's a nurse 
who um, works with patients who are experiencing homelessness. And so she decided to throw an epiphany party. She said, I was going to, I'm catering in Thai food, which y'all, I love, I love me some Pad Thai. And when you're broke, you don't eat out. So I was like, oh, I get to go eat out. Like it's going to be at this party. And she said, we're going to have board games and just come and we're going to, you know, sing a few songs together. And if you can, please bring uh, shoes and socks for the patients that I work with. And I, I did not want anybody to know how much we struggled financially. And so I, I wanted to bring something, but I couldn't even afford socks and shoes for my children. So I'm looking at the list of people who are invited. And so I tell my husband, listen, I, I'm too proud to tell anybody we can't bring anything. We're just going to come to the party. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch and see who RSVPs. And those that I know that have money and no kids, we're going to like go with them and just kind of walk in and be like, this was a group gift, like whatever shoes they bring. I called it Operation Sneak In with the Rich. So listen, that's an idea. Or we could just pray and ask Jesus to provide for us so we can provide for others. And I was like, that seminary training is doing you really good. Look at you have integrity. I decide I'm gonna pray for Jesus to give me, to bless us so we can bless others. So, it, and I had a very specific way that I wanted to, to know my worth, that I wanted to prove that I can contribute. I wanted a Target gift card to come in the mail a few days before Christmas so I could go and buy the socks and shoes in peace. I wanted it to be like Jesus saying, I see you and know you like to wander Target with a with a toasted white mocha. And I see and know that you want to go shopping for socks and shoes. And it was going to come in the form of a Target gift card. I just knew it. So every day I'm praying for that Target gift card and nothing comes. And so I I go to the our appointment to, to shop for my kids and um, I walk in and immediately I see a table full of socks and shoes, like as I walk in and I think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. My kids need socks and shoes, but I'm, I'm going to pick out their sizes and I will give it to these kids and just trust that God will provide for my kids. You know, like th that's what I'm going to do. Rob, Peter, pay Paul. Now I get to have Pad Thai. So I got, walk in and I do all the shopping and then I come to the table for the socks and shoes and there's a woman there and she's asking for sizes. And, and I hear my husband say, well, you can just ask Jesus to provide for you so you can provide for others. Maybe we should have integrity. And I think, well, let me just ask the woman if that's okay before I, before I do that. So I tell the woman, hey, I'm, I'm going to grab these socks and shoes for my kids, but I'm, I'm going to be giving it to my friend who is working with people who are experiencing homelessness. I mean, is that okay? I just, I just want you guys to know, like, I'm grateful, but that's what I'm going to be doing. And she said, you know, nobody's ever said anything like that to me. Like, they've never asked if it's okay for them to, to give something that they get from us to someone else. Like, nobody ever brings that up. Let me talk to my supervisor and see, you know, if maybe we can help you with that. Like, I can't promise anything, but let me take your email address and I'll follow up with you. And she was like, do you need them before Christmas? I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's an epiphany party, January 6th, we're good. She's like, okay. So I get an email from the supervisor that says, hey, basically these are just gonna go back in storage or we're gonna give them to another organization. But if you have somebody whose kids can use them now, you can come with your kids and just flash back and collect what you can. 
So my family got to walk in on our own terms. I was first because I needed that pad thai with trash bags full of socks and shoes. But the best part of this story is when I was hanging out with my friend and she said, yeah, I was visiting my patients and I, and I had a pair of socks and shoes for each of my patients. But then those that had kids, I was able to give them socks and shoes too because most everybody who came to the party adult sizes. So you brought sizes for children. And so I was able to help them and their children. So this invitation, this epiphany, this everyday epiphany is come and know your worth. Be like the Magi and bring whatever it is you have and trust that God can use it in amazing ways. They had no idea that the gold, frankincense, and myrrh potentially cared for the Holy Family in their new life. I had no idea that, that me bringing socks and shoes could care for children who are experiencing homelessness. And so my invitation to you is ask the Lord, what can I bring this epiphany and bring it? Practice generosity. And the last epiphany, the third epiphany is to come and see, go and tell. Because the Magi didn't just stay in that beautiful space with the Holy Family. They went back to their cultural context. They went back to their community and they took their experiences and told. They, they actually disobeyed Herod and went home another route just so they can, they can protect the Holy Family and they could get home safely. Our stories matter. And oftentimes we discount our stories or we say, well, you know, I, I don't have a big testimony. I don't have something huge to share. Maybe we have a story that we say, oh, it's so private. It's so special to me. I don't want to share it. But part of the Magi's, uh, part of the way that we can learn from the Magi is we go and we see and we have these experiences. And then we go and we tell. It's in the telling that the kingdom of God advances through our stories. There's a story that I have been holding on to a lot that I was, that I shared uh, kind of reluctantly when we, when I was teaching um, at a discipleship program um, about race and justice, I was noticing that I was really struggling with the ways that I was teaching race. So I had such a, I had a framework around teaching race that was really about, you know, doing the work and white people showing up and they're like really focusing on systemic change, but not focusing on unity or spiritual formation. And that's a very, very valid way of teaching. Some teachers are, are so gifted in seeing systemic change and inviting white people into it. But for me, that wasn't the way I was wired. And so I was trying to teach this way that said, look at the systems, look at the systems, show up, show up, do more, do more. You can't rest. You can't be silent. Your silence is violence. Like I was, I was teaching from this place and it wasn't, it wasn't sitting well with me. And I was teaching this group on a trip that I took them on, um, a social justice trip where we visited important spots during the civil rights movement and did some contemplation and reflection. And this hard kind of way that I was teaching was causing actually bitterness and resentment to rise up in me. 
And at the very end of the trip, I was praying nearly every day for the Lord to take that bitterness and that resentment away from me. Because the more I taught, do more, do more, do more, the more these images and, and pictures and stories of how race has caused this massive hostility and violence in our country kept coming up. And I just couldn't figure out how to be a peacemaker in the midst of all that. And at the very end, the Lord invited me um, to, to come and see the heart of the issue, at least for me. I was walking out of a gas station and I saw a woman who was on the trip just leaning up against the gas station. Her name was Amy and she was just weeping. And that bitterness, that resentment, that exhaustion around this conversation of race bubbled up in me and I thought, good. She feels the way I have been feeling all 20 something years of talking about race in predominantly white spaces. She should feel that way. And then I sensed the Lord say to me, she does not have a holy conviction. She is feeling shame and she does not feel beloved. And that word beloved changed everything for me. It has changed how I teach race because I went over to her and started whispering to her, her belovedness. I remember that Dr. King was inviting us into this idea of the beloved community. And so somewhere, somehow, belovedness must be integrated in our anti-racism. And so I held her and told her she was okay and that we were gonna be okay. I spoke belovedness over her. Well, when I was working on Dear White Peacemakers, I tell people that the iteration that's out in the world is the third one because the first two, I, I couldn't get it right. I kept, I kept teaching anti-racism in a way that didn't feel right for me. And so then I open up, I, I, I introduced this story into the third iteration of Dear White Peacemakers and everything changed. See, I had to go and see how shame and how, how hostility prevents us from really becoming the beloved community in order for me to begin telling my white brothers and sisters, you are beloved, I am beloved, you are beloved, and we are becoming the beloved community. So these are our invitations, my friends at Antioch, our everyday epiphanies. And so as I close, I'm going to just pray this benediction prayer over you. And in my tradition, if you, um, as the pastor's praying a benediction, we invite you to extend your hands as if you're receiving a gift. So if you want and you feel comfortable, please go ahead and do that. May you, my brothers and sisters at, at, at Antioch, may you, my fellow sojourners, know that you are beloved. May you come and adore the Christ child. And may you, as you continue studying Epiphany, see that Jesus shows up in real and meaningful ways. May you come just as you are, because just as you are, it's beloved. May you come and know your worth, because what you have to offer is important. You are blessed to create blessing. And may you come and see and go and tell that right there in your community, your stories create flourishing, wholeness, and shalom. Amen and amen.